What does it mean to be called crazy in a crazy world? Listen to Madness Radio, Voices and Visions from Outside Mental Health, sponsored by peer-run support communities, Freedom Center, The Icarus Project, and Portland Hearing Voices. Madness Radio can be heard on FM stations on the Pacifica Radio Network and is online at kboo.fm slash madnessradio. Welcome to Madness Radio. This is your host, Will Hall. Today, my guest is Karina Hokanson. Karina is the founder and director of the Family Care Foundation, which for more than 25 years in Sweden has been providing an alternative to the medical model, working with people with extreme life problems, including that might be diagnosed with psychosis. So welcome to Madness Radio, Karina Hokanson. Thank you. It's wonderful to have you. And I think some of our listeners may have seen the very inspiring film that Daniel Mackler did called Healing Homes, which is a documentary about the Family Care Foundation. And your work is starting to get more recognized and known internationally. And I think it really needs to be because this is a very, very important example of providing a, an alternative to mainstream psychiatric care, an alternative to helping people who are in distress, you know, working in a very, very different way. Can you tell us what it is that's different about the Family Care Foundation and how did you develop the idea to start it more than 25 years ago? I think what is is most different is probably that we are actually working outside psychiatry. I mean, we we are not not very much at all influenced by the uh, psychiatric system or the um, kind of language used there. So that to start with, I think it is different. This is very, every time, very difficult to explain how come it turned out to be the Family Care Foundation, because in a way, I would like to describe it that it just felt impossible for me to to work in the system where I tried to, to be before starting the foundation. What was so difficult about working in, in the more traditional psychiatric system? For example, when I worked in a psychiatric ward, uh, the way people were treated, uh, people who came there, those uh, we call patients uh, or as, as or clients, I remember several times thinking to myself that if I had been here in a serious crisis, I would have been as crazy as many of the people <laughs> behaved, or how to say, when coming there. And it, it was a very individual focus also. It was as if the person coming to the psychiatric ward became a patient, uh, nearly directly entering the, the, the door, so to speak, as if there were no other parts of that person, as if she or he had no other life to relate to or how to say it. I have also, uh, from my own family, um, my, my father was for many years, not every day in a psychiatric hospital, but, but he was on and off a patient and uh, the way he was treated also made a very strong impact on me. He was described a lot of uh, medication and he just got worse uh, by the medication. And it wasn't until he found a psychotherapist who helped him to get off the medication, but, uh, but also to try to make some sense of uh, the things which had um, 
tortured him uh, for many years. What was it that he was going through that he kept going in and out of psychiatric hospitals? And what did they give him a diagnosis or what was he going through? I think he had several diagnoses. He had a lot of uh, angst, a very, very um, severe angst, you can say. So he he, he had a lot of uh, benzo, but also some other medication. And, um, and the more he got, the worse it went. Uh, and also to see how my father, yeah, he became a patient at the hospital. It was as if he wasn't also a father for four children and uh, a husband for my uh, for his wife and a dear friend to lots of uh, friends um, and I mean he also worked at times but it was as if all of that disappeared uh, when he entered the psychiatric hospital. Was that because of the language and the training and the way they were just looking at him as an individual who had psychological psychiatric problems that they were focusing on medications with? Even though I was a child at the time, I can still remember that uh, when he described to my mother when different um, methods or theories (laughs) were tested on him. So that, of course, made a very strong uh, impact on me to see how this was supposed to be supportive and helpful wasn't, but actually the opposite. Was there a moment when you were working in the traditional system that really definitively decided for you, that's it, I've got to create something different, I've got, I can't work like this anymore? Was there something you saw or something that you experienced or realized? I realized that this is not possible anymore. Uh, either I have to um, accept the system, either I have to leave. So I decided to leave. Uh, and at the same time also... Uh, together with um, a a colleague at that time. So we decided, let's try to set up something where (laughs) it is possible to make use of this um, engaged and inviting people. So that's how it started, one could say. say. And then tell us about the Family Care Foundation. What are the homes that you create? How do you work with people? The idea from the beginning, and that is still the idea, is to, we collaborate with family homes, as we call it. And a family home is a, is a kind of a foster home, you could say. They are not trained professional helpers. They are not psychotherapists or social workers Also, they They are people who make their living uh, in another way. Uh, many of, of them live on the countryside. Uh, some people, uh, as for example, I know Daniel says in the movie that most of the family homes are farmers, but actually they are not any longer. When we started uh, 25 years ago, it was like that, but... Uh, it's not like that anymore because it's, it, it, the farmers are not so many in Sweden anymore. So it's really borrowing a foster care model where you bring someone who's experiencing some kind of very difficult life struggle or distress or something that might be called an emotional crisis or a psychiatric crisis, and then you place them into an ordinary home and then you provide support. And, and how exactly is that, is that set up for people? Let's say that that you come to us to stay in a family home. You live in the family home and during that time, two therapists in our organization uh, will support 
you and the people around you, I mean your biological family or friends or whatever, uh, but also the family home where you stay. Um, and one of us will be, how can I say, especially for you as your therapist and the other one will be especially for the family home. Uh, and we call that person the family home's supervisor. I'm not so I'm not so comfortable anymore always to talk about the supervisor for for the family home because many of our family homes are nowadays so uh, how can I say experienced and wise in many ways. So sometimes it feels so weird to say that some of our very new therapists supervise the family home. Because some of the family homes have been doing this work for many, many years and many people have come through and lived with them over time. So they learn, they get, they develop incredible skills and ability to work with people. Yes. So in many ways, you could also say that the family home supervise the therapist. <laughs> so it's a very collaborative, it's a very collaborative approach. Yes, it is. And you had said before that more than 500 people have gone through this foster home model? Yeah, it must be something like that now. I mean, Lena, one of my colleagues, she's a coordinator in our organization. She has all the figures and statistics, and so she knows more better than I know about that. But something like that, yes. And what have the results been? Are you able to help people? And are these are people who might not be really helped by traditional care, is that right? Yeah, most people coming to us, they have been in, in many, many places before coming to us. So these are considered like the most difficult or the most yeah. treatment resistant or yeah. the, the ones who are really stuck or that no one wants to work with in a sense. Yeah, nearly all the people coming to us nowadays, they do have some kind of psychiatric diagnosis. All this uh, autism and ADHD and bipolar, especially with young people also. Not, not all of them, I must say, not all, not all of them. But many people who come to us, they are defined as uh, we have tried nearly everything, the social worker or the person from psychiatry says, and now we ask you, can you, do you think that you can do something or... So this is more than just an alternative model. This is an approach that's helping the people that even, even mainstream psychiatry says that it can't work with often. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Many, many people who have come to our place defined nearly as hopeless have, have shown absolutely not to be hopeless. So that is true. And these are people who were diagnosed with schizophrenia or borderline personality disorder or paranoia or any of these things and some of them also have criminal and, and violence backgrounds so these are these are kind of the ones that we think of as the most scary in the stereotypes of the bad scary mental patient those that's those are the people that you work with often yes yeah some of them absolutely or more than some of them but i mean there are also other people not having that heavy um, diagnosis or but but as i say um no one come to our organization if they don't have uh, very complex uh, life um, difficulties. Um. And it's sometimes not just individuals. Sometimes it's also families and children that come. Yes, yes. When we started to work, we, we worked uh, just with uh, adults um, coming from either psychiatry or prisons. 
sometimes uh, also from social service. Um, and then when we had worked for a couple of years, uh, we got a, a request if we could start to work with a little family, uh, a woman and a man and their little uh, baby uh, daughter. So we said, um, oh, this is a lovely story to tell. Uh, and I said to the social, to the person phoning uh, that, I'm sorry, we can't do that. We don't have that kind of knowledge. We don't have that experience. So I'm sorry, we can't do it. And the same day or maybe the day after, I went to one of our uh, family homes, um, a family home that uh, worked with us for many, many years. But this is... Uh, this is 20 years ago or something like that. And I went there and we, uh, we talked about the man who had stayed with him for a year and he had moved away uh, as planned. So, but I was there just to catch up with them. How are you now? And uh, have you heard from the man? And, and they told me, yes, they have keeping in touch with him and so on and so forth. And then I just mentioned very quickly that... Actually, I, I had a phone call from, from a person who wanted us to take on a little family with a man and his uh, young woman and child. And I said, but I said, no, because we, we don't have that kind of knowledge and we don't have that experience. And I never uh, forget the woman in this uh, family home. We were sitting in the kitchen and she just stared at me and she said, excuse me, what did you say, she said. And I repeated myself and told the story again. And then she said, but how can you say we have no knowledge and no experience, she said. We have, we have fostered three own children and they are, uh, they have, one of them had also got a child. So how on earth can you say, she said, that we have no experience? Go back and phone the social worker, she said, and, and, the, and the psychologist at, at the psychiatric ward and, and tell them that we can do this. So I did, and the family uh, moved into this family home and stayed there for something like a year or so. And with that experience, um, we decided to, to, to carry on also to... Um, and, and uh, some years later after that, we also started to work with young people, um, 14, 15, 16 or so. So this is a very different approach than the model that we typically see of people going into group homes or being in hospitals or, or being involved in, in agencies. This is about putting people into a family like a foster home and then providing support for both the individual and also for the the foster family and is it effective i mean have you been able to help people yes i we have been supportive to very many people over the years uh, if we hadn't been that i i am absolutely sure that i wouldn't had continued to work with this because that would have felt crazy to do but to tell you some stories, yes, I can tell you stories about people coming to us. Uh, I'm thinking about one woman, for example, when she came to us, uh, she was diagnosed with schizophrenia. She hadn't been able to, how can I say, ha have a, so to speak, normal conversation with anyone for the last five years or so. Uh, she after a preparation period, as we call it, it's, it's four or five weeks while we, in different ways, prepare for the 
for the for the connection between the one who is about to move into the family home and the family home and also people in in their network she moved to the family home and she stayed there for a couple of years and when you say she couldn't have an ordinary conversation how was she relating to people or what was she doing that was um, unusual that ended up giving her this diagnosis she was just screaming she just screamed and talked uh, like uh, la 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 i mean at in the beginning from i was her therapist and in the beginning it made no sense at all uh, after after some time maybe half a year or so maybe a little longer it started to make sense to me uh, and at the same time it also came to a kind of connection between her and the people where she stayed in the family home. Uh, and as we also met regularly, because we always do, the, the family home and their super, supervisor, so to speak, and, and the one who lives in the family home and the therapist, we, we, we have regularly meetings with each other. What did her screaming and her, her nonsense speech, in a sense, what, what did it mean? What did you discover that it meant for her? She was extremely hurt in her life, as many people are who come to our place. So she was a trauma survivor. She was a survivor of abuse or violence or something. Yeah, yeah. And what do you think it was that helped her to slowly start to be able to be understood? What was it that living in the family home context provided her that she hadn't gotten before? What comes to my mind first of all, and that is crazy maybe to say, but that is that they kept on living their ordinary life even though she moved into their home. So they kept on their life. They, Of course, they invited her in different ways, but they didn't... Um, they didn't pay that kind of attention to her in the mean they didn't observe her or they didn't try to analyze her they didn't try to how can i say to 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 come under her skin in a way but they kept on in their uh, daily life and they invited her to take part in things she wanted to take part in or was able to take part in um, and this, of course, took took some time because uh, in in the beginning, um, I think that they she was there in the house with them, but there were not so much connection. But that was okay for them, as I think. And and I I remember them talking to their supervisor um, about these things and how to make this. Uh, in the best way for themselves but also of course for her and she took part in the uh, in the daily work uh, it was a, that was a farm and it seemed as if she found some kind of peace in the daily routines and to to meet the horses and um, and I also think that she said some years later, she said that she also felt that we liked each other. Those of us who were involved in the shared work, 
I, as her therapist, I, I mean, I love the family home. They are great people. And I think they love me as well. <laughs> and I think that kind of, um, that was something she felt. So even though she was in this very hurt place and she was only communicating by screaming and speaking in a way that people couldn't understand, there was this acceptance of her being part of that family and she was invited to participate. And even though it took months and months and months, slowly she started to make to make connections. Yeah, yeah. It sounds it sounds so basic and common sense. You in some ways you provide acceptance and love and a place to be, but I think that's the challenge that in our society it's very very difficult to actually create a space for someone where they can actually do that when they're in these these states that would be called psychotic or altered states. Yeah. I have I have met a young man today. I can't say too much because I I haven't asked him for permission to talk about him. But I think I can say uh, that I have met a young man today who lives right now in one of our family homes. And we have recently started to work together. We have just been working for some months. Um, And he comes to me uh, for, let's call it, therapy. (laughs) And at the same time, we also used to have a little chat with, with a family home mother. Um, because she used to drive him to me. It's difficult for him so far to go himself by bus or train and so such things. And I sat in my room a little while after they had left this afternoon and and I really asked myself, how come this is so far, so to speak, working? And one of the things as comes to my mind is again, First of all, they are not afraid of him. And I think that he feels that they are not afraid. Uh, they know that he is at right now a little bit crazy or a bit weird or whatever we call it. And they know about that. They know that he has experiences they have never had. Such things as, you know, these things, hearing voices and all that kind of stuff. But they don't pay too much attention about it. They know that that is a part of his uh, life right now. And I think that he feels, or at least that he has started to feel, that they are there if he wants to say or show that right now it's very difficult for me. Uh, But besides that, they have their life uh, and he is a part of that life the way he manages to to do. But as you know, I mean, we we never know about future, how will it go and what will happen. And but if I if I shall trust my body feeling when meeting him and the people around him, I feel pretty sure that it's going to work. What are some other examples of people that have come to the family homes and then had some success? We also work with with the young people coming to us, uh, for example, with this uh, who have been uh, diagnosed with this uh, ADHD thing together with uh, this very popular autistic spectrum, blah, blah, something. I'm not very good at at diagnosis, I must admit. And and when a young person comes to us, we also, if possible, always involve and invite his or her 
family and network. Uh, so even if they don't live together with their child in the family home, they are very much um, part of our, our shared work. Now a story comes to my mind. It was a, um, a boy at the age of 16 something, and he had been, so to speak, client for many, many years. And also his uh, parents, they were very much defined as a, a client family, and he was very defined as a hopeless one, and that uh, his, his future was as if people already know that it's going to be a lot of um, prison and um, hospitals and blah, blah, blah. And some of my colleagues uh, worked together with him and his parents and a family home who is part of our organization. And this young uh, boy, man, he became a man while he was living there. He stayed there for a year and a half or something like that. And uh, when he left, uh, his life was uh, very, very much different from what it looked like when he came. And that is a, also a very strong memory I have when, because I was in, invited to take part in their, we call it team meeting sometimes. Uh, and I was invited to, to come and to uh, just ask some questions to the team. Uh, what did this time mean for you? And I asked this question, can you please describe something which was essential during the time you have worked together? And what I remember very special is when his father turned to the family home and he said that when, when I realized that there are two other grown up, that there are two other persons in this world uh, caring for my son, uh, sitting, waiting for him uh, to come home. Then I got my hope back, he said, or something like that. If you're just tuning in, this is Madness Radio, and our guest today is Karina Håkansson. She's the director and founder of the Family Care Foundation in Sweden, which for more than 25 years has been providing an alternative to the medical model for working with people who are experiencing extreme life problems, including who might be diagnosed with psychosis. The more I work with this, the more I wonder, is this really psychotherapy? Or rather, what is psychotherapy? Because what seems to be important in the, in the shared work we do is that people get this experience that we, and I say we because it also means something for me, not to be totally alone. We have very much um, tried over the years to create a place where people don't have to be too isolated and don't have to be too left alone. Uh, we have very much tried to create a place where it shall be possible to, to, to try to talk to each other, to try to make some kind of sense. I mean, people are not perfect. <laughs> and I think and we think it's better to, to realize that life is sometimes very complicated and so are human beings and we do have a lot of uh, ambivalence and we do uh, uh, behave in very crazy ways sometimes and we do have our doubts and sometimes we say yes and sometimes we say no and all these things but but 
we try to create an atmosphere where it is possible to be um, a human being with all its complexities. Do you understand what I mean? So this is true for the professionals that are working as well as the foster family and the people who are there to, to be supported. Yes. It seems as if, so to speak, normal reactions and feelings are sick, uh, that it would be sick to, to have angst or to be worried or to be sad or whatever. And that is something we, how can I say, we really try to rather accept that all of us, <laughs> no matter if we are therapists or clients or family homes, we do have our good days and we do have our bad days. Instead of putting the, the so-called client in the corner and defining him or her behavior. And these things all together, as I think, is, is probably the most important. I think it's very important that people are, are offered psychotherapy when coming to us. I think it's important that the family home has their regular supervision time with their supervisor. I think it's important with the team uh, meetings. But I do think what is more important than that is that people feel there is some kind of engagement and you could even call it love actually because I mean those we call clients they have of course the same need as other people have uh, need for time and need for caring and need for trust and and all these things and that is the challenge as I think to every 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 day try to hold on to that knowledge in the organization and not get too, too much in love with some theoretic ideas or some blah, I, 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 that, because that is the challenge really, not to forget the human life conditions that we are all a part of in a way. You said that one of the helpful things that the family homes provide is um, a place where people aren't afraid of you. How do you help the family homes to not be responding with fear when someone is screaming or being very difficult? First of all, there are, of course, family homes who are, who get afraid. Most people get afraid for the unfamiliar, as I think. So what we try to do is, of course, to, to try to talk about these things. I try to very much also tell about my uh, experiences from other people I have been working with. I also try to um, ask the, the family home if they have some kind of similar experience from their own life or some own feelings in a way where they have felt like crying or screaming but they haven't done. Because this thing with the recognizing someone or something uh, very, very often creates less fear. That is one thing. And the other very, very concrete thing is that the family home knows that if something happens which is too difficult, too frightening or something they really don't know how to cope with, they can phone their supervisor whenever they wish. 
So they can phone in the middle of the night if they want to. They can phone New Year's Eve if they want to. And that many people, many of the family homes say that it's very, very important for them to know that they have that possibility. They very seldom do, but they have the possibility. And I mean, again, that is also a knowledge that most of us have, that if we know that there is someone there for us, uh, we, most of us, we feel safer then. One of the differences between the work of the Family Care Foundation and the traditional psychiatric approaches is the question of medication. And often in the family homes, they're reducing and coming off medication if they've been taking antipsychotics or anti-anxiety drugs or mood stabilizers. Tell us about, about that whole approach to medication that you have. When we started, already then, uh, we had an idea that we would like to be a place where people could, could stay without having medication. So that has been very much in our mind, or how to say it, all the time. Uh, that is a very difficult question because it's so self-evident for me not to use uh, too much drugs and, and hopefully no drugs at all. Uh, so, it, it, in a way, it's, it's, it's difficult to answer to a question, why, why do you do like that? Because I would like to say, why doesn't everyone do like that? <laughs> it's more like that. And now the last, let's say, 10 years or, or so in Sweden, as I know also in the United States and in many other countries, it's a terrifying increase uh, both of pharmaceuticals, but also with all these different psychiatric diagnoses uh, and all the labels. Uh, so it's also a political statement uh, in our organizations because we really don't have to put uh, a diagnosis. When I discuss these things with colleagues working in psychiatry, uh, a very usual answer is that, yeah, I don't like diagnosis either, but we have to do that in psychiatry. And that's, by the way, one of the reasons why I can never work there, because no one would ever be able to, to, to force me to do something I don't believe in, actually. But we are not forced, since we, in our, we are a, a foundation and we are not under the law of the psychiatry psychiatric uh, health care or how, what to call it. So I also think it's absolutely necessary and important that we are a kind of role model, is that the word? Mm -hmm. To show that it is possible and not just possible but also for many people much, much better to get rid of both the diagnosis but also the medication. So many people who come to the Family Care Foundation and stay in the homes are successful in reducing and coming off their medication. That's happened to hundreds of people. Not everyone coming to our place wants to get off medication. And I mean, we, we don't force people to do that. If they don't want to, to get off medication, they don't have to do that. But most people coming to our place, and especially the last, or how can I say, more and more people coming to our place come to us since they know that we have an experience that it is possible to get off medication. 
And do you have a particular approach that you use when helping people to come off medications? I, I do refer to you, for example. I do refer to people I have met myself uh, who have experience uh, that it is possible. And many of the people I work with, they used to say that no one told me about these things in psychiatry. No one told me about people who have got off uh, medication. So that is one of the things I do. As you know, there are a lot of knowledge, um, but the problem is that this knowledge uh, doesn't reach uh, those we call patients. They don't get information about it. I'm right now working with another man who came to us. He had the diagnosis schizophrenia. He was told, both he and his parents were told that he would never be able to recover, that he would have to uh, take his uh, heavy medication for the rest of his life. And the first time I met him, he walked as if he was a zombie. He came since he had heard that we had experience that it is possible to get off medication. He doesn't live in one of our family homes because the last years people also come to us uh, not to stay in a family home but to have support to get off medication uh, and to, to have someone to, to talk to in a therapeutic uh, context. So when we had worked together for some time I suggested him that I would come along to his uh, psychiatrist because he was forced to injections. And I came with him to his psychiatrist and told about um, my work and our experiences and that uh, I, I would very much, together with a colleague of mine, uh, be uh, supportive in his um, wish to get off medication. And. So, I mean, I witnessed how this psychiatrist uh, scared him to hell by telling him that, uh, just so you know it, that if you get off medication and then when you get, not if, but when <laughs> you get your new psychosis, it will be even worse for you and it will be much harder for you to recover and la, 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 la. And this man, he's very soon off medication and he is not a zombie anymore. And of course, he's a bit scared. Um, what will happen? Will this really work? I I'm absolutely sure it will work. I'm absolutely sure. So he's done well despite these uh, prophecies of failure from his psychiatrist. We, we managed actually to convince his psychiatrist to uh, withdraw the medication. And this I have been part of so many times. People coming to us, having been told that they are chronical, they can never get off their medication, you are bipolar, you are schizophrenic, you are this and that. And I mean, I have so many times experienced that it's not the case. Of course, it is also extremely important to try together with the person to, to make some kind of sense what has happened. And, and very often, I must say, I'm very, very sad to say this, but very, very often it seems as if what has also been extremely traumatizing is to be a patient in the psychiatric system. And so sometimes, I mean, it might have started with some traumatic event or it might have started with some very heavy depression or sadness or whatever we call it. 
but I do see a very strong pattern how people, especially when you are a young person coming into the psychiatric system and you are told that you have this disease and you need to take this medication and people start to believe that it's true. I mean, people, ah, I get so upset. I, I, I never get used to this, never. One of the examples from Daniel Mackler's film was when a young woman living in the foster home, the family care home, was um, very violent. She was turn overturning a table and smashing things, and the mother in the family just grabbed her and hel held her. What kinds of responses and how do people in the homes deal with violence and deal with situations where there might be fighting or something very extreme going on? It depends. Who is the family home and what is it that happens? But it very, very, it's very unusual with the violence. And my very homemade theory about that is that there is not so many situations which creates violence. So it's very unusual. It has happened. And of course, it's not okay to hurt someone. It's not okay anywhere. In, in society or in life and it's not okay in the, in the family home either so if things happen for example the situation described in the movie of course we talked a lot about that how come it happened what did you think the family home mother she wasn't it was not that hard because she didn't get afraid I think she got more uh, afraid that the woman staying with them would give up and how do you choose the families for placing people? Because it seems like you really are looking for certain qualities of being very grounded or very compassionate or very caring. What kinds of selection process do you have for finding a family that someone could go and then live with? We used to have an advertisement in the newspaper sometimes. And we search for families with space in their house and heart. <laughs> that is what we, we say in the advertisement. And we also search for people who experience that they have space for someone else in their life, not just for the one we call client, but also for those of us working together with the, with the family home and the one living in the family home. Since the family home, in many, many ways, they very much expose themselves, or how to say it. To share your life and your house with, with someone else is, of course, to reveal a lot of yourself. You show yourself, either you wish or not, you do that. And that is also what is so good <laughs> by living in a family home because after a while you just can't hide normal human reactions and so on. Uh, so for example, a young man I worked together with several years ago and, and his own family was defined as a very difficult client family or how to say it. He, he had very much uh, identified himself as a criminal and drug abuser and a little bit crazy and all these things. And he came to me for therapy 
uh, or conversations once a week. And one day when he came, he, he looked very different and he, he was very excited. And he told me about the family home mother where he lived. And he described that she had started to scream at her children. And, she sw- and, and he said to me, she even swore. She used swore words. And, and she, was, he, she was really crazy, he said. And then he said, I have always thought that, that it was just that it was only people like my parents who behaved like that. So you recognize or, and realize that it is not that big difference between people. Because as a professional, you can always behave. I mean, so that is one of the things my work has taught me the most, is how extremely important it is that I also show myself, also as a therapist, and to include some experiences from my own life and my own kids, because it makes people feel less weird, less alone, less... um, isolated all these things. So all of the psychotherapists and the supervisors that are involved with that family homes have a similar kind of approach of showing themselves and talking about their personal lives and interacting on a more human level with everybody that they're working with? I think so. I might do it a little bit more than the others, but I do think that that is an an approach which is um, part of our culture, I think so. Part of the culture of the Family Care Foundation. Yeah, yeah. So you've been doing this work for more than 25 years. Has it gotten the attention of others in Sweden? Is there interest in spreading it or using the model in in other places? That is a very sad thing. I mean, because sometimes I think to myself, how come there are not a lot, a lot, a lot more places like ours? Because there isn't. Uh, But I know that we have influenced a lot our approach against psychiatric diagnosis and uh, I think we also influence many people to and, and show that it is possible to get off medication. So I, I think that many people in, in different uh, ways in Sweden actually are influenced by our work but not in the way that there are lots of other family care foundations popping up all over in the country because it isn't. So given your successes, why hasn't that happened? I don't know. I I really don't know. I wonder that myself. Is it too much of a challenge to the traditional way of working? Maybe, because you must, we mustn't forget that when we started, it was in a way easier. It was not as crazy as it is right now with all the formulas and the manuals and the diagnosis and the medication and all that. It, it, so in that sense, it was easier. Because now in Sweden, and as in many other countries, it, it is more difficult now to, to start an organization like ours, as I think. When, when I think about the way we started it, and sometimes I wonder, how was it possible? I mean, but it was possible. And we also made it possible, of course. Sometimes I feel sad when thinking, how come there are not more places like ours? But... As I said, I know that we do influence a lot of people all over, and that's the main thing. Maybe it isn't possible to exactly duplicate our organization. 
As for example, Tornio, where Jakob Sekula started to work, we, we have a little bit the same, as I think, background. I mean, there are also people who have been working together for many, 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 many years, as in our organization. And of course, that is also important for the content, so to speak. I also think it needs someone who is absolutely convinced that this is possible to do. Someone like you. Yeah, not just me, but yeah, when we started, I was like that. And and maybe I am still, but I mean, when we started, I had absolutely no idea. I didn't know what it would take from me. It was more like this has to be done. It can't be like this. It was a very, very strong uh, feeling. And, and fortunately, that feeling I have by some reason saved inside of me because I very often have feel like that even though I'm I'm an older woman now I still very often feel this is not okay we have to do something about it and that's a blessing and I have also been surrounded and I am surrounded by a lot of beautiful brilliant people and that is also extremely important so, Karina, we are just about out of time. Can you give us contact information that people can find out more about the Family Care Foundation? Yeah, we have a web page, Family Care Foundation. That is possible to find on uh, internet, of course, or to Google. And there you can also find names and telephone numbers and mail addresses and so on. And people can also take a look at Daniel Mackler's website to get a copy of Healing Homes, his documentary film about the Family Care Foundation. Yes. And Karina, you've also written a book. Tell us, tell us about that. And it's in English, right? Yes, it's translated to English and published by Taos Institute. And the name of the book is Ordinary Life Therapy. Karina Hokansson, thank you so much for joining us today on Madness Radio. Thank you very much. You've been listening to an interview with Karina Hokansson. She's the founder and director of the Family Care Foundation. She's a psychotherapist and social worker. And the Family Care Foundation for more than 25 years in Sweden has been offering an alternative to the medical model, helping people facing extreme life problems and difficulties, including that might become diagnosed with psychosis. That's all the time we have on Madness Radio. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Madness Radio, Voices and Visions from Outside Mental Health, co-sponsored by the Icarus Project, Portland Hearing Voices, and Freedom Center. Madness Radio is hosted by Will Hall and producer is Leah Harris. Madness Radio is based at KBOO in Oregon and can be heard on FM stations on the Pacifica Radio Network. Contact us at radio at madnessradio.net. <laughs>